and we're live again. <laughs> again, we're live twice. So we're, we'll eat after. I want to pay a lot of attention to this. Uh, you guys may <clears throat> get questions, you know, asked about salvation, whether it's possible to lose it. Uh, and we're just going to look at the Word, you know, and what it has to say. And we're going to start in Hebrews again. Chapter 5, we're going to look at verses 13 through 14. And then we'll dive into uh, probably chapter 6. Okay, so last week we went over the um, imperative... Um, I guess you'd say key to success and maturity as a believer, and that is to be pierced by the revelation of righteousness. Uh, it is imperative. It doesn't make any sense to be a Christian and not have the revelation that you're not only righteous now, but you are God's righteousness. I mean, it's literally the, the foundational thing you have to have, and so we see from Paul's letter to the Hebrews uh, that that was the main idea behind maturing in the Lord. From that foundation, you're then able to add to the fundamental teachings that we receive as new believers. And it also implies that if we don't move on from the basics, from that foundation of righteousness, we're actually in danger of going backwards. So we have to be really uh, I guess you would say have an awareness of these truths and then build upon them and don't ever forget them. So I just want to reread verses 13 through 14, which we dissected last week. It says, For every spiritual infant who lives on milk is not yet pierced by the revelation of righteousness, but solid food is for the mature whose spiritual senses perceive heavenly matters. And they have been adequately trained by what they've experienced to emerge with understanding of the difference between what is truly excellent and that which is evil and harmful. Now, the word emerge is translated from the Aramaic, and I think it's a good uh, idea to break down where we're emerging from as soon as I get my screen to cooperate. There we go. Okay, so the spiritual senses... They have been trained by those experiences. And from the experiences, they emerge with an understanding of the difference between what is evil and what is excellent. Now, this can get really scary for some people. The Lord, and I may have this in my notes later, but when he was talking to the Sadducees, when he was here, he said, you err because you don't have both the power and the word. And the same thing is true in today's Christian circles. You have those that are all about experiencing God. The supernatural, uh, you know, the word manifesting in practical matters, etc., etc. The presence of God, the feel good, all of those things. Then you have on the other side of that, those that are, well, show me where that is in the word. Well, you show me where the Lord says abortion is wrong in the word. You show me where it says that you probably should vote in America in the word. 
I actually have some scriptures where I can show you that. But a lot of times they will negate an experience because it's not in the Word. Okay? So the way that you judge experiences is there is there an overall word-based support for what you're experiencing. Number two, if it contradicts outright the Word of God, you can throw that experience out. Now, let's take that to Abraham. Because Abraham was asked to go sacrifice his son. Was that in, in the Word? Was that the character of God? So, the point is, you cannot put God in a box. So, what is the foundational question? Anybody? How do you know if what you're experiencing or what you're told is the Word? Well, I think we've talked about that Holy Spirit having a flavor. He has a flavor. And it, that needs to accompany that experience, mm -hmm. I think. I think uh, that's very important because Abraham, actually, that's why he was able to obey the voice of the Lord and recognize it because of the flavor. Uh, but here's the main thing. It's fruit. What fruit does it produce? If your experience produces a, a broken marriage, ruined children, uh, any sin uh, or enforcement of wrong mindsets and sin in your life, then it's obviously not from God. Uh, I've met people where they said, well, the Holy Spirit told me to leave my wife and marry my secretary. No, he did not. No, he did not. And the result of that was this person went along with that uh, demonic thought and ruined the children for God after. So, no, that's not the case. So, it's the fruit. It will always be the fruit. That's how you judge ministers. It's how you judge experiences. It's how you judge the voice that you hear. Uh, so, flavor and fruit. If the fruit is trying to tell you it's an apple, but it tastes like a, uh, I don't know, piece of fungus-riddled bread, then it's probably not the Holy Spirit. But what Paul's saying is that the mature are trained by their encounters, their experiences in God. And because they're trained by them, they're able to discern between what is truly excellent and what is evil and harmful. So... Don't look with suspicion upon spiritual experiences and believe that you're only trained by the Word of God, but also don't look at your experiences as your only training uh, apart from the Word of God because we also have doctrines that have come out of that. Well, I used to believe in healing, but my wife died from cancer, so now that must that doctrine, you know, it must have changed. It, the uh, miracles must have died with the apostles. You see what I mean? Both ways you can get into error. So the path of life is always between the word and experiences. The path of life is always between the fear of the Lord and love. It's never either or. It always has to be, I guess you would say, the ditch is on either side of the road or the path you're on. So, on top of that, the Bible is actually a recording of the experiences of the people of God. <laughs> right? right? Okay, so let's look at uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 10. And uh, I want to show you how God instructs us to use other people's experiences. So we're going to start, it's in the Passion, we're going to start with verse 1 all the way to 6. My dear fellow believers... 
You need to understand that all of our Jewish ancestors who walked through a wilderness long ago were under the glory cloud. And they passed through the waters of the sea on both sides. They were all baptized into the cloud of glory, into the fellowship of Moses, and into the sea. Excuse me. They all ate the same heavenly manna and drank water from the same spiritual rock that traveled with them. And that rock was Christ himself. Yet God was not pleased with most of them, and their dead bodies were scattered around the wilderness. Verse 6, Now all these things serve as types and pictures for us, lessons that teach us not to fail in the same way by callously craving worthless things and practicing idolatry as some of them did. <clears throat> so their experiences are now lessons for us. Okay? So it's very important to not negate the impact and the, the crucial aspect of encounters and experiences as lessons for us. Well, all through the Bible, everybody had a first experience somewhere. Mm -hmm. Like you said, the sacrifice here, there. They're baptizing themselves. Why did they have to do it themselves? Because they hadn't been that had not been an experience that it happened before. Well, and in the King James, you're right. And in the King James, it says that they were actually baptized and they heard the gospel, but they did not mix it with faith. It's very interesting. They heard the good news, right? So you're right. It's like all of us are going to encounter first experiences. What about the scriptures that say uh, that there's a part of the revelation that John received that's sealed until the end of the age? Now you can get into new doctrine. You, you see what I mean? So it, every time we try to put a box around the Lord, he's like, actually, no. And he'll bust out of it. Why? Why does he do that? Well, first of all, the obvious answer is he is way too big for boxes. Number one. I mean, the earth and the heavens cannot contain him, right? But number two is he, he is so rich in who he is and what he's accomplishing, there's no way you can contain him in a box. However, he has put the word above even his name. Is that the correct way it goes? So Jesus is the word. It requires relationship. That's the number one thing. He requires relationship. The word is relational. The more you know him, the more you'll be able to discern what is truly excellent. So Paul is clearly showing us the experiences of the Hebrews leaving Egypt and going to the Promised Land are lessons that teach us, meaning that their experiences are to train us. And I can understand why people are against experiences because you got some weirdos. You know, my favorite, the NFWs, nuts, flakes, and weirdos. You have those people. They're 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 soul driven. They're soul dominant, and they're always experiencing God. And yet. What fruit is there in their personal development in God? What fruit is there in their finances, etc., etc.? Like, here's, here's something that can freak people out. So you have, like, let's go to finances. Let's take it down to money because everybody has to solve the money thing if they're going to take cities. Okay. So you have people like, well, you know, as Jesus, we should, you know, give, 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 give. And we shouldn't, you know, ever have anything that we enjoy. Like, shame on you if you have a car that you enjoy. Or shame on you if you live in a nice home. Or shame on you if you actually buy a toy here and there. You know, for me, toys or electronics. Shame on you. You should sell everything you have. Give it away. And live in a cardboard box in L.A. on Skid Row. 
right? I mean, that's how extreme people can get. Business people are greedy coming from a person who owns a business. And so you've got people who think that poverty, right, is next to godliness. Now, let me, let me, let's cause people's brains to go, huh. So there's a proverb that says that the man who withholds his goods from selling them, he will be cursed. But blessed are those who sell their goods to those who have need. Wait a minute. Sell? Why doesn't it say give? Why doesn't it say give his goods away? Sell? Oh, let's take it a step further. You got Joseph, right? Who becomes second in command of Egypt because of his business model that he gave to uh, the Pharaoh, which is this. Are you ready for this? It is, what you need to do is you're going to have seven years of you know, prosperity in your crops and stuff. So you need to set aside a portion, store them in silos, so that when all the world is hurting and desperate because of a famine, they're all going to come to Egypt, and then you're going to give. Is that what you said? No, sell it. Gee! Do you think Joseph is in hell because he said sell grain to people that are starving to death? Oh my word. So they come. Now you got to get this. Not only did it save the nation of Israel, but it also enslaved them. So they go to Egypt. He sells all, they sell all the good. Egypt becomes the world's superpower. Because of Pharaoh, or because of Joseph and his counsel to Pharaoh. Now, let's translate this today to the political arena. Socialism. Collect all you have and give out. Right there. They say, well, it says in Acts 2, 45 through 46, or 44 through 46, that all of the believers, they sold everything they had, they pulled it together, and they took care of everybody. Well, actually, that's not the case. You had to have certain qualifications that were conducive to that environment back then where widows could not find work. They were females. They couldn't find work. Neither could orphans. They had to be taken care of, right? Everybody else, you better get out and earn a living because if you don't work, you don't eat. In fact... If you don't work, you're not engaged in battle. So here we have this idea that Christian compassion is just handing out, okay? And that business people, Republicans, conservatives, they're greedy and they're heartless when actually there is a principle that if you sell your goods to those who have need, you are blessed. So that's why you can't take the one scripture where Jesus said, sell everything you have, and it's uh, harder for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven than it is for a camel to go through the eye of a needle, which is an idiom. You can't take that doctrine and apply it and say socialism is something that is good, and yet you have pastors at this moment across this nation preaching that very thing. What was Jesus dealing with in that rich young ruler? He was dealing with the love of money. There was an idolatrous practice for him. And he was saying, in order, you can't serve two masters. In order for you to follow me, you got to get rid of the one and embrace me. That's what he was saying. So the main idea is you cannot get God backed into a corner because he is a lion. And he will find his way out. Right? And then you had the, you have, uh, Abraham was wealthy. Right. I mean... 
we have all those examples. And God's not different than he was in the Old Testament. Nope. Nope. You know, so you just have to, uh, you have to puzzle that one out for yourself. I think that's an individual thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. So, 2 Peter 2, 24. You know, let's look at, by his stripes you have been healed. This is the word. The word says you've already been healed. Yet many have based their theology concerning healing on the experiences of others who were not healed. But the word clearly says they were. So the disconnect wasn't in the finished work of the cross, but in something else. Okay? So nowhere does the Bible say that God heals sometimes, not other times. Nowhere. Anytime someone came to God for healing, He healed them. So the word shows an experience of 100% healing. Okay? So that includes under the inferior covenant of the, the Old Testament. It shows they were healed. So for us, we can't relegate healing to when you die and go to heaven because you weren't healed. You died from a sickness. That ain't healing. Right? So we need to quit putting the spin on things and just say, hey, God, your word says I'm already healed. So any experience contrary to that is not your will. Therefore, show me the disconnect so that I can close the gap, right? I can close the gap, and then I can experience the healing I need to experience. Uh, by the way, uh, oh, Dutch Sheets had a really good, on his four-part prayer series, and uh, Give Him 15, uh, it was really good. He talked about that. Why do you have to keep praying? And he gets into, uh, it was good, huh? So I would suggest you read, um, it's probably done by now, but yeah. the, the four parts, I think it started maybe that Monday, like the 22nd, the 21st, maybe, or the uh, 20, 20th. Okay, now listen to this. In Mark 12, 24, in the Passion Translation, Jesus said, You are deluded because your hearts are not filled with the revelation of the Scriptures and the power of God or the power of God. It takes both. All experience must be sourced in the Word, and all Word must be experienced in power. It's that simple. Any experience that contradicts the Word must be traced down to the disconnect, and any uh, Word that is not being experienced must also be traced down to the disconnect. 1 Corinthians 2, 4-5 through 5 says, My speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. Why? So that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. And let me tell you something. We have an epidemic, a pandemic of people in the church and they put their faith in the wisdom of men. And guess what? When that man fails, what do they do? They lose their faith. Because mm -hmm. their faith was in men. For the kingdom of God does not consist in talk, but in power. That's 1 Corinthians 4.20. So remember that the word unskilled in Hebrews 5.13 is inexperienced. So if we look at what Paul is saying, he's saying that the spiritually immature are the inexperienced and the spiritually mature are the experienced in spiritual heavenly matters. You could say that the practice makes perfect. You're a person that's in the Word, you're utilizing the power of God to experience and perceive heavenly matters by practicing what you learn. It's that simple. By the way, the mature are also defined uh, as those who are obedient to Christ. Okay, now, let's dive in here 
uh, because I, I really want to dissect the, the salvation thing. Okay, so verse 1 through 3 of Hebrews 6. Now it's time for us to progress beyond the basic message of Christ and advance into perfection or maturity. The foundation has already been laid for us to build upon, turning away from our dead works to embrace faith in God, teaching about different baptisms, impartation by the laying on of hands, resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. So with God's enablement, we will move on to deeper truths. Excuse me. Man, it's like I took essential oils this morning. I'm just like... Okay. So I want to dissect the, the foundation every believer needs to have, which is the basic message of Christ. Uh, but first, I want to look at the phrase progress beyond. Uh, in other translations, it's the word leave. Okay? To leave remaining. Meaning, you've learned these things well. They now serve as a foundation for you to build upon. But Father never meant for us to not, uh, you know, practice the foundational teachings. You know, you never, you never leave them and that you don't ever look at them again. It's they serve as your foundation and you just add to them. But the other thing is we should never be stuck in the basics either, which again requires you to be pierced with the revelation of righteousness. Because the foundation, basic message of Jesus is on that chief cornerstone. So we're to use them to advance. But in the Greek, it literally is arche logos, which means the beginning word of Christ. The elementary principles is the beginning word of Christ. Okay, so I'm going to go through these quickly. Turning away from our dead works to embrace faith in God. This doctrine is leaving behind religion. <coughs> Plain and simple. That's all it means. The end. So, <laughs> the English, uh, or the Passion Translation says, useless deeds. Dead works are the attempts of people to please God through religion. Keeping religious laws and traditions and serving others to gain influence with God. There was one work that brings life to all, and that was the work of Christ on the cross. And that's a quote, by the way. It never ceases to amaze me how many are still stuck in religion have never embraced the it is finished life. Everyone is still trying to earn God's approval. The entire point of the cross was to free us from dead works. Number two, teaching about different baptisms. There are actually seven baptisms mentioned in the New Testament. Here they are if you need to study them and get that foundation really plain. Number one, uh, <clears throat> I lost my train of thought. Baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost, baptism of suffering, baptism of the cloud, baptism into Moses, baptism of repentance, and water baptism. You should know these. Move on. Impartation by the laying on of hands. This is putting your hands physically on others to heal, to bless, to impart the Holy Spirit and His gifts, to identify with a person or sacrifice, and to release others to their calling and ministry or ordination. And by the way, you don't have to go to a cemetery, I mean seminary, to get that. This practice is taught in both the New and the Old Testament, yet I found some Christians don't even believe in laying on of hands. Resurrection of the dead, pretty straightforward. Jesus was resurrected, so will we. <laughs> so, I mean, everybody, everybody, whether you know God or not, you will be resurrected. Those who do not believe in Jesus Christ will experience the second death in Revelation 20, uh, verse 14. <clears throat> Jesus' resurrection is the doorway to the power of God and eternal life. It's the defeat of death. So how is it 
that some that are Christians, a great number, do not believe in the resurrection. Eternal judgment might be waiting those because this is a promise of eternal reward or eternal punishment. You can only go to heaven if you're born again. That's it. You will go to hell if you do not believe. God sends no one to hell. We make that decision. Well, the resurrection. Christ can't be Christ without the resurrection. I know. And you can't be so, a Christian without the resurrection. Right, I mean, right. why would you even believe the whole thing is about, number one, bringing the kingdom of heaven to earth. Number two, not going to hell. <laughs> like that's, I mean. There's no hope. The, there's yeah, there's no right. hope without the resurrection. And paradise is empty. Right. Well, if you're like Rob Bell, the heretic, what happens is when you die, you go through this blue zapper line, and it zaps you. It's like a bug killer, yeah. Yeah, it's like a fly thing. And so then you can, then everybody's in heaven, because there is no hell. Hell was just made up by grumpy old men. All right, here we go. Let's get into the meat and potatoes. Now, the next part might get a little dicey, okay? And uh, scared the you-know-what out of some people. But let me remind all of us right now that Paul is speaking to those who were thinking about returning to Judaism and renouncing their faith in Christ due to persecution. Okay, so this isn't just for everybody. In fact, if you're worried that this might have happened, you're probably okay. <laughs> okay? <laughs> that, that was wisdom from Gigi when I freaked out when I first learned this stuff. Now, it seems that he's implying that the danger they are in of leaving Christ is due to not maturing in him, right? Because he goes, uh, he, he jumps from going deeper into the, uh, to Christ to discussing what happens to apostates. But for him and in his letter, these things weren't separated in thought or by chapter or verse. So he's, he's basically saying, first of all, you need to go deeper. You need to go past the basic elementary principles. But for those who don't and return to Judaism, you will probably go to hell. That's what he was telling them. Okay? So they're not separate in his mind. So let's start with verse 4. It is impossible to restore an apostate. For once a person has come into Christ's light and tasted the gifts of the heavenly realm and has received the Holy Spirit and feasted on the good word of God and has entered into the power of the age that is breaking in. I like that. If he abandons his faith, there is no use even trying to lead him to repentance. By the sin, their sin of apostasy, they re-crucify the Son of God. And have publicly repudiated him. Whew, that gives me the chills. Ooh, I just got the chills. <laughs> it makes me anxious when I read that. Okay. Not because I'm worried about myself. You know, it's just like, ooh, that just is so final. Impossible is pretty... It's, it's, I mean, it's straightforward. I mean, I don't know how much stronger language you can get. But there are still those There's who say, that. this doesn't apply to Christ's followers. Well, I'm going to end that arguments, uh, one, uh, argument once and for all. Number one, once a person has come to God's light and tasted the gifts of the heavenly realm and received the Holy Spirit and feasted on the Word of God, that only happens to Christians. You don't have to be born again. Yeah, that. you have to be born again. You cannot get Holy Spirit apart from being born again. Okay, <clears throat> so Paul's audience, his target audience, are Christ's followers. Okay? So he is speaking to believers. So then, 
That leads to the question, can a Christ follower, a believer, lose his or her salvation? Absolutely. It's impossible to restore an apostate. Where nothing is impossible for those who believe, this is one thing that is impossible. Why? Because they no longer believe. Their unbelief has now caused them to uh, basically cross a line. So let's break this down. Come into God's light means to be born again, plain and simple. Tasted the gifts of the heavenly realm. The word tasted means to, uh-oh, there's that word again, experience. Probably focusing on personal involvement. In other words, you're personally experiencing God. Okay? So this can apply to spiritual and supernatural gifts, but also salvation. Uh, they've received the Holy Spirit. Receive means to come to acquire or, oh, there it is again. Experience is state. In which you become. In other words, by being baptized in the Holy Spirit, you're now experiencing a oneness with Him, spirit to spirit, that's designed to infuse a part of your your being, every part of it, the soul, the spirit, and the body. So these are who He's talking to, people that have experienced salvation. They've been born again. They've experienced the communion with Holy Ghost. Why they would ever want to walk away, I'm not sure, but that's the case. They've feasted on the good Word of God. Feasted is the same word as tasted, meaning you've, oh, there it is again, experienced the goodness, the quality, the excellence of the living voice of God. That's in the Greek because the word of God there is rhema, not logos. What does that mean? A religious person can read the Bible all day long. They can read the logos all day long and walk away unchanged, but when it becomes alive, it's a living voice to you, now you're feasting. Okay, now you're tasting the living voice of God, His flavor. So, it's implying that the word that is taught to you as well uh, as what you read uh, and allow to come alive is a continuous exchange of communication between you and God. And they've entered into the power of the age that is breaking in. This is where you're using the power of God, which is a deposit. Remember the Holy Spirit's a deposit, a guarantee, a seal, a down payment of the age to come to bring heaven to earth. These are people that are bringing heaven to earth. They are operating in both the Word and the power. Doesn't it sound impossible for them to even fall away? I mean, it sounds impossible. You know, but I, it happens. I, it, it, we all, I always wondered that too, but I think persecution is uh, a big factor. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and, they want to save their life temporarily or, or be able to eat or whatever. And justify, well, you know, if I don't claim him, then yeah. I'll be all right. And some people bring up Peter. Let's clarify that before Kathy shares her thought. <laughs> Peter was not born again. Okay? Yes. When he denied him, he was not born again. So that's the only reason Peter was able to be restored and to help his brethren because he got born again after Jesus Christ was resurrected. That's the only way. You could not have the new nature until that new nature was released. And the only way that new nature was released was post-resurrection. So you can't right. use Peter as a justification from turning from the Lord. And I think that sometimes people fall away, and it's because of this performance. Because they think they shouldn't Never ever do anything works. wrong. Yeah. And 
yeah. you know, and you're a sinner, and you're a this, and you're a that. Mm -hmm. What we've been talking about, mm -hmm. and people get real discouraged when they try, basically in their own strength, to go and do the right thing, the right thing, and they're not able to do that because they haven't turned themselves over to right. the leadership of God. Basically, they yeah. have him, but they they haven't learned how to put themselves aside. And then it just feels like a exercise in futility. I can never. I think to a degree, and, and they just. But I'm away not from sure it. because the people he's talking about feasted on the word. They operate in the power and the word. They know the word pretty well. But knowing it and being able to. Live but it's it revelation. Out, it's revelation. Well. But it says here, they've experienced the Word, the living voice of God. So they are actually enjoying a level of Christianity that a lot of Christians, especially the ones mm -hmm. you're describing, haven't even tasted. But, but you know, we all have all been through those times when you're up here, and then you go down here, True. and you feel like, God has just left me, I've done something wrong, uh, I should have prayed more, I should have done this more. I think you the know, other thing, too, is they begin to entertain sin in their heart. And over time, it begins to grow because we know, depart from me, I never knew you, you who practice lawlessness. So there's that degree as well. But I think the main thing, too, is persecution. Mm -hmm. I think it's a desire for the things of the world. You know, I've heard of people that have uh, been at this level Ooh. in their walk, and then they want to become singers, you know, in a worldly mm -hmm. system, and they, they fall away. And uh, actually, I don't think it's a falling away. I think it's a deliberate divorcing. In fact, if you look at a apostasy it's actually a divorcing it's a defection yeah. you're divorcing yourself from God so it can be gradual it can be disappointments and hurts uh, it can be offense I think offense is a big one I think really if you want to put it plainly it's a perfect storm that the enemy will orchestrate in your life and if you don't recognize what's going on you can find yourself offended with persecution and hardship and actually turn away well, and don't you think that there are people that feel like they've already lost it? Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, there's some. I mean, Satan has condemned them. Well, you're not really a believer. You're not really walking where you need to. You just think you've got the light. You don't really have the light. And they just walk away from it because they allow Satan, they allow that voice to be louder than God's voice mm -hmm. that, over time anyway. It's the same thing as in the fall where he was telling them they weren't something that they actually already right. were. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, to me, you know, when it says in verse 6, and then having fallen away to restore them again to repentance, since they are crucifying once again the Son of uh, God to their own harm <clears throat> and holding him up to contempt. You know, another thing that I think can cause people to fall is when they put their faith in their leaders. Right. You know, if you get offended by how stupid people act in the church uh, to the point where you want to walk away from God, then that's on you because God is apart from any yeah. man. And so he doesn't lie. He's yeah, not the one doing it. People it is a big a pastor one. or somebody up on a pedestal, yes. and that person falls, and their whole life goes Or they apart. mistreat them, or yeah. they're rude, or they're whatever it is. You know, if you're yeah. easily offended by people, you probably need to get your heart right on that. Uh, especially in the church, because it is a guarantee. In fact, Jesus said it is impossible. I mean, the God of the universe who says nothing is impossible for those who believe said it is impossible for offenses to not come. It's just impossible. It's going to happen. All right, so let's look at verse 7. Oh, I want to break down a couple words. 
first. So the uh, Greek for falling away is to abandon a former relationship. So again, this is speaking to people that are Christians. You know, you can't have a relationship with God unless you're born again. So they abandon their relationship with God. Uh, and then uh, Paul says, well, so does Jude. You can't be born again, fall away, and then be born again, again. So crucifying once again the Son of Man and holding him to contempt. The word to contempt is, get this quote, exposed to public shame, to bring shame upon the sacrificial death of Christ. Render his once for all crucifixion for sin as a public example of unworthiness and ridicule. Now, this kind of takes it for me, and I could be wrong, but this kind of takes it to people that very high up, very influential, and then they find themselves or they've made choices where they're now in a type of sin. Okay, no one knows where the line is. No one knows. But there was a point where Moses should have known God well enough, to whom much is given, much is required, that he should have spoken to the rock instead of hitting it out of frustration. His anger kept him out of the promised land. Not out of heaven. He went to heaven. But it kept him out of the promised land. We don't know what the line is to where you're to whom much is given, much is required point, where if you make a decision that maybe you would have made earlier in your walk would have been forgiven, but now you're on into a walk of such maturity that you make a decision, does that mean you may lose your salvation? Only God knows. But I can guarantee you that everything you've built, <laughs> when it goes through the fire, guess what? You might have lost your position in the age to come, but you'll barely make it in by the skin of your teeth. Right. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So we don't know, but we do know that we're to look at fruit. And so if things start happening, we start seeing some fruit, it'll be like, hey, hey, something's going on here that we need to be aware of. But man, to hold him up as a public uh, example of unworthiness and ridicule, that... Alright, verse 7, For men's hearts are just like the soil that drinks up the showers which often fall upon it. Some soil will yield crops as God's blessing upon the field, but if the field continues to produce only thorns and thistles, a curse hangs over it. It'll be burned. See, there's a fruit there, right there. And notice he said thorns and thistles. I think that's very interesting. Having said that, beloved, we are fully convinced that there are more beautiful and excellent things which flow from your salvation. Okay, I'm going to look at this. This is an interesting statement. Everyone drinks from the showers that fall upon them from God. For some, a crop useful to those for whose sake it is cultivated is the result meaning that they got some good things planted in the soil and it produces things that are useful for continuous and deeper salvation experience. In other words, you've planted good seed and the, the rain of the Lord falls upon it and good fruit is produced. But... The other one is they have reverted back to the cursed state of Adam after the fall. That thorns and thistles and curse is very interesting. Genesis 3, 17 through 18 in the English Standard says, And to Adam God said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree, right, fruit, 
of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it, curses the ground because of you. Now, again, I want to reiterate, God wasn't cursing them. He was stating their consequence. I didn't do this, guys. You ate from the tree that I said not to. Therefore, because of you, it's your fault that the ground will now produce, what does it say? Thorns and thistles. It shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. So, he's saying, when, when the rain of God's glory and presence falls on certain people that have been practicing lawlessness, that have uh, uh, entered into an apostate um, life, what it means is the only thing they're going to produce are thorns and thistles. They're now back under the curse of Adam and Eve. But don't miss that statement. And you shall eat the plants of the field. This is so important, guys. I didn't think about it till just now. This is the Holy Spirit for sure uh, wanting to show us something. Well, you judge it, but I feel His anointing on it. They still have some produce, producing. They still have some production. Did you see that? Thorns and thistles it shall bring for you, and you shall eat of the plants of the field. They may still hang around. They may still seem like Christians. They may still have a semblance of right. something that we might think is a believer, but they're not. You know what they are now? They're the uh, tares. Tares. See, tares and wheat look the same growing up together. Okay. It's at harvest that you can tell the difference because the wheat will be bowed in humility. The tares stand straight up. It's noxious. It produces nausea if you eat them. And it's prideful. Plus, their kernels are black. Is that interesting? The, the more mature wheat is, the whiter their kernel is. So, I think that's interesting. They're still going to be amongst us to a degree. Now, that's some may true. walk out completely, you know. But, what the ministers of Satan even appear as ministers of righteousness. Right. Uh, so, they will still have a little bit of that residue. Okay, let's finish off with Jude. And then um, we'll be done. Uh huh. So, what about people like myself or other people who got born again and then they backslid or whatever uh, or went into drugs or anything like this and then come back? You repented. Wait, there's repentance. Yeah, freaked. They don't repent. Don't yeah. Leave, don't leave that. Mm -mm. They and their nature continues to revert back to pre-saved. And I think worse. Like uh, like the Lord, He said, you'll know them by their fruit, right? False prophets, false teachers. Well, I believe they started out true. But they didn't deal with certain things. They didn't deal with maybe pride and offense and different sins. And so what happens is they begin a turning and they go back into a wolf nature or thorns and thistles. So it's fruit. So you're absolutely right. There's no repentance. Now, renouncing Jesus, that's, you know, they've taken the extra step right. of renouncing him. That's what Paul's referring to here. You know, so we might be talking about two different things where you have those that, you know, Doreen's question was a great one. Well, you know, they've been born again and then they backslide and maybe get into drugs and alcohol and different things. Well, 
have they repented? If they've repented, then they're fine. If they're producing good fruit, they're fine. But what we're referring to here are those that either never repent and continue to get worse and worse, or those that they have you know, experienced a level of God that many Christians don't, and they decide because of persecution or whatever reason, they no longer want to follow Him, they renounce Him, and walk the other way. I think that could happen in the, during the tribulation. Yeah, I think a lot of people are going to be offended when they gonna, find out we're in the tribulation because they weren't raptured out. That, and that's, yeah, that's the main thing Well, right we there. know that as long as there is a forgiveness, because it says how many times do you forgive? Seven, seven times seven, seven, you know, which is the... Seven times seven. Yeah, the... Seven times seven. Which is the, the number for infinity, basically. But it, it just shows that how many times do you forgive, and with forgive is repentance. Right. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. So. In fact, in Luke seventeen three, it says, do not forgive unless they've repented. Right. So that's another one. You're like, what? Oh, yeah. No, no. If there's a believer that has not repented and they're... Uh, living a life that is sinful, uh, we're not obligated to forgive and receive back into our fellowship. However, uh, we're not to hold offense toward them. Mm -hmm. You know, so there's a big difference between the two. A lot of people don't know. No, node. <laughs> I was looking at Jude, and it came out node. Oh. <laughs> okay, so let's look at 1213. These false teachers are like dangerous hidden reeves. Oh, here it is. It confirms what I just said. <laughs> At your lofties. You know, it's just so funny when the Holy Spirit does that. <laughs> Lying in wait. Get this. To shipwreck the immature. Now you have people. They're what I call actively disengaged employees. These are actively disengaged Christians that are now fallen. Now they're not going to heaven, right? They remain among the fellowship of Christians to now actively seek Others, the immature, who are the immature? Those who have not been pierced by the revelation of righteousness. Y'all need to write this down. Right. The immature are those who have not been pierced by the revelation of righteousness. That is our primary goal for right. any new believer. You are righteous right. and making sure that's their initial revelation because we've all heard the Christians, I'm still a sinner. I, they live from a point of sin, not a point of uh, righteousness. And so the immature, that's who they're seeking. And they know that they've not been pierced by the revelation of righteousness. So they can snare, they can hook them in. So they feast among you without reverence, having no shepherd but themselves. They are clouds with no rain, swept along by the winds like fruitless late autumn trees, twice dead. Barren and plucked up by the roots. They are wild waves of the sea, flinging out the foam of their shame and dis, uh, disgrace. They are misleading like wandering stars for whom the complete darkness of eternal gloom has been reserved. Let's, let's continue on. Enoch, the seventh direct descendant from Adam, prophesied of their doom when he said, Look, here comes the Lord Yahweh with his countless myriads of holy ones. He comes to execute judgment against them all and to convict each one of them for their ungodly deeds and for all the terrible words that ungodly sinners have spoken against him. Here's the characteristics, okay? You might want to write these down. Number one, these people are always complaining. Always complaining. Number two, never satisfied. Number three, Finding fault with everyone. Well, that reminds me of something. Mm. 
always complaining, never satisfied, finding fault with everyone. Right. Next one, follow their own evil desires. Yep. And that's where they're hooking others, yep. okay, the immature. Follow their own evil desires and their mouths speak scandalous things. Speak scandalous things. Now, what is that? They gossip about every other person, believer, pastors, spouse. Yep. They're always gossiping. So they, their mouths speak scandalous things. And then the final one is they enjoy using seductive flattery. They enjoy it. Enjoy using seductive flattery to manipulate others. Okay, so number one, always complaining. Number two, never satisfied. Number three, finding fault with everybody. Number four, follow their own evil desires. Number five, mouths speak scandalous things. And number six, enjoy using seductive flattery to manipulate others. See, now they're like Ted Bundy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he loved killing. Loved it. You know, we, it's hard for our, our minds to comprehend such evil. He loved it. So these people love this stuff. They love it. So, Jude is describing false teachers. Well, and I think... Where are false teachers? In the church. Yeah. In the church, guys. Absolutely. Go ahead, Kathy. Well, I just said God... Uh, that's kind of the one of the things that I, I thought he characterized is really pride. When you get your own pride above, really you make it the number one priority. Then you're a set yourself up for every bad thing. Because we know, if you listen to the true crime, a lot of the crimes are committed because they had such pride they don't want to be found out or looked on as less or... I made a mistake, but I don't want want anybody to know it. Um, mm -hmm. I think there's the pride of abortion because they've made a mistake, mm -hmm. but they're too prideful. They don't want anybody to know. Let's just go take care of that. And of course, that's speaking to you know people that probably don't know God. And you know what's interesting about a lot of the serial killers in particular? They started entertaining thoughts, mm -hmm. and their fantasy mm -hmm. life became so overwhelming, they had to then execute it in reality, and then the hunt becomes a game and not getting caught becomes a game. But so I, it's the same thing with these people. They like manipulating to see what they can get away with, what they can get people to do, what they can get them to yeah. agree with. And what's shocking is they're false teachers and false prophets yeah. in the body of Christ. Absolutely. I have talked to those somebody and they said they had an abortion because their you know, spiritual mother could not, they, she didn't want to have that embarrassment of and a, a baby being born. Hey, you could probably go to hell for that. Wow. Well, and it was pride. That was the whole deal, was pride. Mm -hmm. yeah. Her pride, it was, you know, the baby's life yeah. was not as important as her pride. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so she was taken down mm -hmm. by her Sunday wow. school mother teacher. Well, I want to see them in heaven. Yeah. Well, you know, you wonder. <laughs> All right. Any other thoughts or questions? It's really good. No, so helpful. Now, no one's scared, right? No. Don't no, no, no. be scared. Uh -huh. <laughs> <laughs>
Now, if you're in sin and you refuse to repent, you probably need to be scared a little bit. Because God ain't playing no games. And I don't know if y'all have noticed, but things are definitely escalating. And I feel the closer we get to His return, the less likely we're going to be able to get away with some stuff. Right, right. I do know that the farther I got after I uh, returned, repented, Mm -hmm. there was one time when I went to do something and he told me don't do it. If you do it this time, I'll... Uh, you'll die. Yeah. 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 Which that goes into that goes into the he will kill the flesh to save the soul. Now it's the point where, okay, if if I don't, you know, take basically take this person out, because I do believe God will take people out. And the way it's done is his hand of protection is lifted and then the one that is the father of lies and murder and all that stuff will then have access to that person. Uh, so that is the case. But yeah, I, I've i known a couple people where the Lord's like, if you ever do that again, you will die. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's good. And I think it's interesting. It doesn't really have, you know. But that 6-4 uh, where it said, uh, they talked about once the person has come and has received the Holy Spirit. And when you look down at the, um, the notes, the notes um, it was the same uh, word as has been in business partnership with the Holy Spirit. Wow. And I thought you would be interested in that. That's very interesting. Yeah. So it's somebody that has been in a working relationship with Holy Spirit, mm-hmm. not just, well, we kind of knowing that Lord help me feeling and give me some goosebumps. It's a working relationship that they've had. <coughs> I thought you would be interested Very in that good. little thing there. Alright. Okay, well let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word. And we're not those who will shy away from the difficult pieces or sometimes hard to digest, but instead we embrace truth in all of its aspects and facets. And uh, Father, we know that as we look into the, the, the word, uh, we see what we are in Christ and the things that we should take lessons from and learn from to keep us in Christ. And so, Father, I pray one thing, that you be ruthless in how you deal with us, meaning that you will never uh, uh, wink at us in any way or anything we're doing, but instead, uh, your Holy Spirit will always be there to give us that check, to give us that um, lack of peace on the inside. If we do something that displeases you, that's a given. What's not a given is our response. So I pray, Father, that you empower us by your Holy Spirit to respond to you with the utmost sensitivity and quickness, the utmost obedience. You say jump, we don't even ask how high, we just go. And Father, I pray that uh, our obedience to your voice, the living voice, uh, I pray, Father, that it continues to grow and gets uh, more and more bold, uh, more and more concise, that we don't add to your sentences, we simply hear and do. I pray, Father, that you help us to continue to have an ear, a heart, the ear of our heart, sensitive uh, to the Holy Ghost, even the slightest whisper, not even a whisper, He looks a certain way. We can we can feel it, we can tell uh, whether it's good or whether maybe He's wanting to point out something that we need to repent of. Uh, but Father, most importantly, to be pierced by the revelation of righteousness is the utmost thing that we need as a foundation to build upon 
So I pray that every person that hears this message, Father, it's very easy to focus in on that you can lose your salvation. That might be the only thing people hear. But Father, I pray that the necessity of you must be pierced by the revelation of righteousness be the one thing that sticks. And for those that don't understand, I pray, Father, that you guide them into a journey of discovery of what exactly that means so that they can enter into the it is finished faith rest life and so father we thank you for your word we thank you for your holy spirit we thank you for all of those things and i pray right now father that you receive our tithes and offerings uh, and i ask that you give us the wisdom on how to best use them uh, we give them to you as kings to king we thank you for that ability uh, and we honor you with him in Jesus' name. Amen. If you could stop those. I forgot about, completely forgot about.